1: The Rock is Lit Vault.
0: Welcome to the Rocky's Lit Vault, where you can find outtakes from the regular episodes and extended episodes, as well as special features, behind the scenes peaks, and breaking news. Join me, Christy Alexander Halberg, for each enthralling episode, then migrate to the vault for Rocky's Lit Deep Cuts. Thanks for tuning in to this bonus interview with Pleasant Gaiman, which was originally recorded for the episode featuring Janet Fitch's novel, Painted Black. In the following outtake from that episode, Pleasant talks about her interactions with some of the hottest punk bands in L.A. in the early 1980s, including The Germs, The Cramps, The Weirdos, X, and Black Flag, and how the scene began to deteriorate in the early 80s. Well, I'm going to throw a few other band names at you that show up in paint it black and get your impression. The Cramps, X, The Weirdos, Black Flag.
2: Oh, my God. OK, so the Cramps, um, Kid Congo and I met them in New York. And Kid Congo was um, he was my roommate at 909 on this guy And we used to go back and forth to New York City on Greyhound buses. Um, to see, to just live there for like two weeks to a month or or more and and see bands and stuff. And we we just we heard about the cramps from friends in New York, and then um, we met them the first time they came out here. And I, I you know, I just banged on their door at the Tropicana Motel and said, "You guys want to get drunk and go to thrift stores?" And of <laughs> course they said yes. That was how I usually met everybody in those days. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah. And then and, and then, I, you know, want to do an interview for my fans in Lobotomy. So I've seen the Cramps and Blondie probably more than the Cramps, Blondie and the Ramones and X more than probably any band I've ever mm. seen. X X I saw their very first show, nice, which was in, in a big house and in um, a living room on 6th Street. The Weirdos, the first time I saw them was when um, everyone from the punk scene was Went to Bomb Records because the Damned, who was the very first punk band um from England to come to America, mm-hmm. um, were were playing at the Starwood for two nights. And so we all wanted to go to to the in-store. So the whole entire LA punk scene went there. And um the weirdos walked in and I was floored by the way they looked. They were wearing like women's raincoats with like crazy sixties belts and chains and <laughs> just well, like seriously, like paper cups and shit, like safety pin to their outfits. I mean, oh gosh, they looked incredible like and I was like, "Who are you?" And they they said they were the weirdos, and they're like, "We're playing tonight at this place called the Orpheum Theater," and um, they were playing with the nerves that you know Peter Peter Case was in, and then the opening band was the Zeros mm-hmm. from San Diego, and I said, "You want to have another band on the bill?" Um, you know, because I was hanging out with the Germs. And they said, sure, because that was the way shit went down in those. days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we went to prepare for the gig. Like we were in um, Chris Ashford's car, like the, the who put out the germs record. And um, we went to my mom's house and Chris was like, oh, like 21 or, or maybe 22. He was old enough to buy booze. So we got wasted on cold duck. And um I think there was some quaaludes involved. And by the time <laughs> we got there, we were so messed up. And the germs could hardly, I mean, they couldn't hardly play anyway. They hadn't even been rehearsing for that yeah. long. Like I mean, maybe days as opposed to weeks. So they sounded like total garbage. Um, um, Darby, who was Bobby Penn at that point, pulled out a giant jar of Skippy Peanut Butter in homage to Iggy Pop, and that started going all over the stage. I mean. They got shut down immediately because it just, it didn't even sound like industrial rock. It just sounded like a wall of noise, and this was like in a tiny black box theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that was their first gig, you yeah. know. And then they, they they kept um playing, and you know, Darby went to the hospital a few few times for like falling off balconies or like getting full of black on stage. I mean, um, who else did you mention? X. No, the weirdos. I think I yep. mentioned Black Flag. Everyone Black Flag. Um, Belinda and I used to work for a booking agency called Hollywood International Talent, mm-hmm. which was above um this lingerie store called Playmates of Hollywood. And um it was Marshall Burl, who was the nephew of Milton Burrell. Oh
0: my goodness. Um,
2: it was it was his um it was his talent agency and we met him at the whiskey and we'd answer his phones. And so um, he was always asking us, who did we like as bands or who did we know as bands that you know he could book tours for? And so we were booking Black Flag. I saw a lot of Black Flag shows, but their shows got violent really quickly. And one of the things that distinguished the punk scene in the 70s and the very early 80s from later on was um, that in the, in the first few years, the punk scene was so small mm-hmm. and so contained and everyone knew each other that there was no violence. Like everyone would like do the pogo and have a mosh pit, which I don't even think they, it was getting called that yet. Um, but if someone fell over, they wouldn't get trampled. There was no like, you know, fist fights or anything. Like if someone fell over, someone would pick them up yeah. or, you know, everyone was like really good friends with each other. And we just wanted to have a wild time, you mm-hmm. know? So um the later it got the more the more testosterone fueled and the more dangerous like the slam pits got which is what we initially called them. Yeah. And um so many girls from the punk scene just fled We're like nope I'm not going to go and see them so like I I saw Black Flag a few times like at parks mm-hmm. I think one of them might have been Pollywog Park somewhere in Orange County or down near the beach. Um and then like they, like other people, would play at house parties because they weren't famous yet, and people, people would be like, "Whoa, you saw like Black Flag or fill in the blank at a house party?" It's like, "Yeah, that's that's what you mm-hmm. did." There was there was no clubs that were booking stuff like this. None of our stuff was on the radio. Yeah. you know.
0: Well, so, yeah. yeah, I. There, and that comes out in the novel *Painted Black* too. That because it, it is set in 1980, and there is a sense that there's a change a foot with the punk scene the main character Josie is there are sections where she's either in a club or thinking about going to a club and contemplating how skinheads were taking over the scene and things were turning ugly so
2: that that sounds like what really was going on that's exactly what was going on and and i mean for us for for the you know for the original hollywood and la punks that really ruined it. I mean, I'm sure it ruined it for people in other places too, but then there was, you know, when the, as there started to be like more venues and more bands that would in, in just a few years be called quote, quote, alternative. Mm-hmm. There was also, um, you know, more non-conventional venues like country clubs or, you know, rec halls and stuff where you could see things in the hardcore people. Um, or the you know, the violent jocks that had the suddenly discovered punk. Um, didn't really know about those because they weren't as as plugged in yet as we were. So there was there was still like a thriving scene. Yeah.
0: Well, I watched the documentary The Decline of Western Civilization recently, and that was filmed, yeah. I think, in 79 and 80 and came out in 81. And it was about that period of the LA punk scene. And I picked up on A little bit of racism in there and a lot of homophobia, especially there's this one section of the movie, the documentary, where fears lead singer Lee Ving is on stage just ranting about gay people using all these slurs. It's really disturbing. And... And I was picking up on some sexism and some anti-Semitism they, there were some audience members wearing swastikas. And it, it kind of it seemed to me like it was this toxic white masculinity that was taking over the whole punk scene at that point.
2: That's pre- that's pretty much true, because the early scene in L.A. What wasn't wasn't like that, yeah. you know, From like 76 to like around the 80, you know, mm-hmm. it was 76 was kind of like glitter rock morphing into punk rock you know but but um like women were women were all over it um uh, people of color were all over it lots of people were gay you know or queer and it was fine Mm -hmm. you know it was was that the people from a lot of the suburbs and they were it was frankly like really what you're what you're saying is exactly true there would be like a lot of homophobia mm-hmm. and racism and stuff like that and that's not what the original scene was like at all the original scene was like it was like like kate ashbury on steroids <laughs> with different music or or it you know it might have been like it was kind of like a commune, except there was no gardens, so only a lot of beer bottles. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, was, it was really like now you would say it was inclusive, uh-huh. you know, that word, but we never would have used that word because we didn't need to. You know what I mean? It was like if you like the kind of music we did or if you showed up and you're a complete stranger and you had on like like a jacket with a bunch of badges or some weird hair would be like, hey, brother or sister, mm. you know, it was really. We were happy to mm-hmm. see each other because like I said, since there was, you know, since there was no internet and social media, I still can't fucking figure out how we all came together when I think of, because I never wrote about that part yeah, in my diaries, which I kept because it was just normal to just go out, but I don't know how we all got the, the radar to be at the same places because there was no advertisements. If, mm-hmm. you, if you got a flyer, then you'd have to call people. Or tell people, and I don't know how anyone found out about parties, mm-hmm. like if and someone broadcasting it mouth to mouth at a gig the night before, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it was such a different time that it blows my mind.
0: Well, are any of these clubs still open, like the Hong Kong Cafe, for example?
2: No, um, the Hong, I can't, I'm not sure if the Hong Kong Cafe is still open, and that's more like from the pandemic. I mean, it was yeah. a restaurant. And it still had been a restaurant a few years ago. And the the upstairs where, where the banquet room was, was where they had the band. So I don't, I kind of really doubt that they're having bands there, mm-hmm. but I might be wrong. So I can't say for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the Roxy and the whiskey are still there. The yeah. basement where the mask was is now under um, RuPaul's World of Wonder. Really? Yeah, all the original graffiti is preserved there, but they're really picky about letting people in there, which sucks. Yeah. So, hi, Rupa. <laughs> you should, you <laughs> should tell your staff that, that you're sitting on some historic gold money. Thanks so much for being on
0: the show, Pleasant. This has been a hoot. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Find out more about Pleasant Gaiman at her website, pleasantgaiman.com. You can buy her new memoir, Rock and Roll Witch, there too, or wherever you buy books. Check out her very cool podcast, The Devil's Music, on the Pantheon Network. And don't forget to pick up a copy of Janet Fitch's novel, Paint It Black, at your local indie bookstore or find it online. Thanks for hanging out in the Rock is Lit vault. Check out more Rock is Lit episodes and be on the lookout for more bonus material here in the vault. Until next time, keep rocking and reading and getting lit.
1: Rock is lit.